Well, hello everyone. Um, for those who haven't met me, my name is Jo, and um, you might often see me as Peter's wife or running around after our kids. Um, but being involved in um, the planting of this church um, is really something that is very special to both of us and has been an amazing blessing. And so it's a pleasure um, to share with you today. I want to share with you some of my story and some of you will know this and others, others won't. Um, to start with my, my aunt, um, she had a profound influence on my life. She had Down syndrome and um, she really shaped our family um, in the way we had the chance to love and to serve, um, to serve her, but in ways that um, she would never have known in terms of her, her impact on me. She showed me very much that our community is enriched by difference and people who um, otherwise in society can be quite marginalised. And I think it also taught me um, the importance of being a voice for people who are voiceless and speaking up for those um, who can't speak up for themselves. But it was very much um, through her that my sense of justice and compassion took root. Being a voice for the voices also resonated with me when I first met East Timorese um, refugees um, under then occupied um, Indonesia. Um, I met them through my church youth group and so my faith um, and my understanding of God of a, as a God of justice was really growing during that time as um, through youth group we um, were involved in, in um, serving with refugees and also um, a drop-in centre. And many years later, um, I came across a quote from one of my heroes, Desmond Tutu, which I think sort of sums it up, this sort of growing yearning and sense of justice and vocation that I had, which was, Christians shouldn't just be pulling people out of the river. We should be going upstream to find out who's pushing them in. And so from a young age, I had a strong sense that I had been given um, a bunch of talents and um, and a strong sense of justice in my faith and that I needed to do something with that. I loved everything about uni. Um, I studied law and arts and um, sunk my teeth into everything I could about um, developing countries and human rights. Um, and, um, and then as a young adult also got to spend some time in India, which was um, really humbling and, and great to sort of turn theory into actually sitting with people who are genuinely poor and being humbled by that. And that's where I met Christine um, here in the congregation. Um, I made a choice to actively roll up my sleeves and it didn't take long before God gave me two amazing opportunities. One was in refugee law where I, I worked as a refugee lawyer for many years and also through chairing Australia's first youth-run aid and development organisation, Oak Tree. And when I look back um, on the outcomes of that quite clear faith choice and also a choice to serve here in the West rather than um, living in the developing world, um, I see that God has very much opened up doors and, um, and used me as part of a movement for change where our society um, and our church can be part of seeking justice and change. My role is now with TIER and I, um, I head up advocacy there and um, you've probably heard me speak about TIER at different times and we're, we're here as um, partner church here at Mary Creek with TIER. Um, but what I love about TIER is this really proud tradition of speaking up and advocating for justice um, and that includes um, around the Millennium Development Goals, campaigns such as Jubilee 2000, 
but um, campaigning around aid um, and, and climate change with a really distinctive Christian voice. So last year I, um, I had the chance to travel to Nepal and um, visit one of our big partner organisations, United Mission to Nepal. And it was one year after the huge Nepali earthquake. And so a lot of us, um, uh, our sort of partner countries from across Europe and um, different parts of the world came to spend some time together in Kathmandu to reflect and learn lessons from, from sort of um, the earthquake response. And I met a Nepali woman um, called Vegeta, and she had recently taken over as the communications director um, at United Mission to Nepal. And Vegeta is um, this beautiful, well-dressed, articulate, educated um, woman who lives in the capital. Uh, she's married to quite a famous filmmaker in Nepal, and there's quite an aura around her. But as we all gathered as essentially um, donor countries and partners, um, she introduced a film to us. It was the first sort of um, you know, uh, significant thing she'd done in her new job. And she spoke with such passion about a film that she had made called Climate Change is Real. And as someone who lived in the capital, she had travelled out to the remote districts of um, Mugu and um, Rukum and had been trying to tell the story for us, um, those of us in a Western context, that climate change is real. And as someone who's seen many not-for-profit videos and am part of creating, creating those, this one um, particularly struck me. I, I, it was probably to do with being so close and being there in Nepal, but also um, to be convicted by someone who herself was convicted in the process. You know, we think of Nepal as such a beautiful place and to hear that the snows are melting, um, that people are suffering so greatly from lack of water, um, droughts, the seasons are changing in a way that no one can remember in their lifetime them changing. It was really powerful for me. And it certainly echoed what I knew in my head from our work at TIA, that our partners literally around the world are telling us that the biggest thing that is impeding their development is climate change. And what could we do to challenge and stir the church in our country? We hear it um, from the droughts and the, the failing crops that are happening in different parts of Africa. We hear it in um, talking with our partner Eficor about the huge numbers of farmers committing suicide because the crops are failing again and again and they can't provide for their families. We hear it in women who are spending hours walking to get water, things that we have made progress against but are all being undone by this challenge of climate change. And so we hear this common story. So not only are these people suffering because of economic injustice and poverty, but they're receiving a double dose of injustice because of the devastating impact of climate change. So where is God in all of this? And what's he doing? And does he care for these people who are suffering over the world? Well, foundational to what I do is a theological conviction. And this conviction is going to form the basis of my talk this morning. My conviction is this that God wants our world to have a fair and sustainable economy, a restorative economy. I'm talking about an economy that conforms to God's perfect order and justice. An economy where all people can make a living and have what they need without wrecking the planet. A world where individuals and communities flourish, both physically and spiritually. 
This is a good and a perfect economy of the kingdom of God. One that stands in contrast to the triple challenges that we see of our times of poverty, um, inequality and environmental degradation. Now each of us sitting here today will have different views on economics, climate change policies, justice and Christian faith. And to make a wild generalisation, I suspect that we might have two poles sitting here in church in the room. So I want you to listen out for which camp you might potentially be in. On the one hand, there's a poll over here that believes that Christians should probably, in principle, have an awareness of world politics, economics, climate change. But in reality, you don't really think about it too much and you're going to leave those difficult issues to others. On the other hand, you might be 100% persuaded that people should engage in justice and climate action. And you probably haven't, though, got a clear biblical understanding of why. Your passion for climate and justice is actually driven more by your politics than your faith. So my talk this morning is saying that we as Christians need a third approach, a gospel approach, a Christ-centred approach, where we start to realise our responsibilities as Christians in a globalised world. Where our neighbours that Jesus called us to love are not just in our immediate vicinity, but in the whole world. And this third approach is what we want to promote in the Renew Our World campaign. So what is the Renew Our World campaign? It's a new international campaign that's getting the church to become active global citizens and promote a restorative economy. We want the global church to be equipped to transform national policies towards things that are more sustainable and just, transform our hearts through prayer and through learning, and transform our behaviours and our practices, such as how we live, how we vote, what we buy, and how we pray. We want to build and strengthen movements for change. We're talking about shifting the power to bring big and long-lasting change. It's a truly global campaign involving um, partners from the global south and the global north, those from rich as well as poor contexts. Um, we have just launched in the last week um, with the beginning of Lent um, and we already have seven countries involved and it's growing. Um, I've had the pleasure of being part of co-creating this campaign um, and working over the past year or so um, at some pretty uh, crazy hours of our time zones and it is quite amazing to see this thing that we've been designing and conceiving of come into fruition and start to be shared with the public. For the first few years of the campaign, we'll focus on climate change. We're acting and we're praying together so nobody is um, oppressed by poverty due to climate change so that, and so that creation can keep providing for us all. We can beat poverty and to do that, we need to beat climate change. Now, previous generations, they didn't know about climate change and for later generations, it will be too late. This is our generation's challenge and we need to rise to it. Across the world, we'll be asking governments to make firm plans 
to keep their promises that they made in the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. It's the first ever legally binding global climate deal which begins to put the world on track to try and address this challenge. So now let's turn to the Bible to see what it has to say about God's economics. And it's important that we see that the idea of a restorative economy, it's not my personal politics where I've justified it with a few proof texts. It's part of the threads and the story of the whole Bible. As theologian Craig Blomberg wrote, the Bible actually provides neither a justification for capitalism nor for socialism. Rather, it's its own unique message. So let's start in Eden. We think of Adam and Eve in that pre-fall garden and they have more than enough to go around. But the sustainable economy of Eden broke down when sin entered. They took what was not theirs and they rebelled against God. And as a result, God imposed a curse on creation. Now this judgment was a natural flow-on effect of, of humanity creating disorder. The breakdown of that relationship between people and God and people with each other led to a breakdown in the relationship between people and creation. But God did not abandon Adam and Eve. No, rather his grace began as soon as the curse was imposed. And for the rest of the story of the Bible, we see God reaching out to his people to save them. And this included demanding that people pursue a restorative economy that embraced God's good order in relationship with him, in relationship with each other, and in relationship with creation. We see God demanding a sustainable economy in the law of Moses. Think of um, the teaching around tithes. In Deuteronomy 14, the people were being taught to be generous because God is generous. Think of the concept of jubilee. Many of you will associate it with debt cancellation and the campaign of the early 2000s. It's an Old Testament principle which occurred every 50 years. Now listen to God's restorative economy at work in Leviticus 25.10. This 50th year, it's sacrificial. It's a time of freedom and of celebration where everyone will receive back their original property and slaves will return home to their families. This demonstrated that the land is actually God, God's and it reset the ownership and created um, the sense of rest for the land and fairness and equality being brought back into the system. <coughs> Old Testament regulations of both Sabbath and Jubilee, they show us that there's more to flourishing than financial success and God is always concerned with how the poor are treated in our society. Now, God also sent the prophets to preach against Israel, perpetuating an unsustainable and a corrupt economy. And for further, you can go and read Isaiah, Amos, Micah, and see what God had to say in that era of the prophets. When Jesus came, he would do what Adam couldn't, who fulfilled all prophecy and the law. Listen to his words from Luke 4, 18-19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to pro proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. 
This was Jesus' manifesto. He's making it clear that that justice for the poor is at the heart of his mission. Jesus taught God's perfect order for society and economics. He embodied this order. He also performed miracles that showed that he was about restoring that order. He restored order in human relationships. Think of the healing and the forgiving of sins, and particularly his concern for people who were social outcasts. He demonstrated God's economy of provision by turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, or the feeding of the 5,000. He showed authority over creation. Think of the calming of the storm. Think of the walking on the water. Think of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And he preached God's perfect order for society and the need for a fair and a just restorative economy in the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And he warned against the trappings of wealth and of greed. Luke 12, 15. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And we ultimately see Jesus taking notions of other person-centeredness, generosity and provision to the ultimate place of his life on the death and the cross. Jesus' resurrection marks the beginning of a remaking in God's creation in which those saved through faith in Christ are provided a foretaste of what God wants to do to the entire creation, revealing the goodness of the kingdom for all. And so Jesus tells us to pray, and later in our service today we will pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He calls us to imagine, to pray and to live for the conditions of earth to be shaped by the way they are in God's heavenly presence. Now the early church took this seriously. They lived in eager anticipation of Jesus returning. They embraced self-sacrifice, generosity and provision in their community. As we read the books of Acts, we see that they shared their possessions, they cared for orphans and widows, and they demonstrated Christ-like love to people around them. We also see that the church grew. And we saw in our reading from Isaiah when God offered glimpses of the new heavens and the new earth to Isaiah and later to John. We see that it is only then that we will experience a complete restorative economy where children and the elderly, people will not suffer. There will no longer be poor people being persecuted by those who are um, treating them unfairly and where creation will be renewed. So God has shown us throughout the story of the Bible how everyone can have enough in a way that honours him and values his creation. He has provided us a saviour who is restoring the order and bringing justice. The kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of the world is also here. And so what is our task? English theologian N.T. Wright argues that our task 
as the church is to announce in words and actions that a saviour has come. And we need to be God's agents of healing and forgiveness as we act boldly in God's world in the power of the Spirit. Wright anticipates that we will face opposition, but he says that we should be planting flags in this hostile soil. And to quote him, he says, setting up signposts to say that there is a different way to be human. So how can we respond? What can we actually do as Christians to create any kind of positive change towards having a restorative economy? It might be tempting to question how realistic it is to um, shape global economic design and how that could be influenced by biblical principles. And it's important to remember a few things. Our systems aren't autonomous beings. They are shaped and created by people. The economy we have today exists as a result of the decisions we, as a society, have made in the past. The economy we have tomorrow is entirely due to the decisions we're going to make today. The other thing I want you to remember is that changing systems requires a movement of people speaking up, but also taking practical steps towards that change. This is how change happened with the abolition of the slave trade. It happened with the campaign for civil rights. It's happened with Aboriginal justice issues in this country in only a few generations. And it happened with the cancellation of debt of some of the world's poorest countries with the Jubilee 2000 campaign. Where it was possible to unlock these entrenched and unjust systems. Tides change because of a faithful movement for change. So let me address those two categories of people who might be here today. There are those of you who are feeling stirred up right now. You're loving that you're hearing climate or justice mentioned from the pulpit. And let's face it, you are already on board. Perhaps you give to the Wilderness Society. Perhaps you rode your bike here today. Perhaps you vote Greens. My encouragement to you is to connect this issue to your faith in Jesus. You need to see that ultimately it is Jesus who is Lord. He is renewing the world. He defeats evil on the cross. And he has freed us from slavery and sin so that we don't have to live selfishly anymore. And in the response to that grace that he has shown us, we are to show grace to others. You need to pray expectantly that God would intervene and bring a restorative economy to the world. I included in our readings Luke 18, 1 to 8, and it's the passage about an unjust judge who will respond to the cry of the poor widow to grant her request. But how much more would our just judge, our God, respond to our cries and our prayers? When Jesus returns, will he find any of us actually praying for justice? Now, there are two launch actions that we've built in as people sign up to join Renew Our World. Prayer 
and getting signatures on a huge climate petition. I challenge you, if you fall into this first category, to actually focus on prayer. It's a different step to your default of action. So sign up to the campaign. Um, the URL is in the Target um, article that you've, um, you've got as you came in. It's renewourworld.org.au. And you'll be resourced and you'll be encouraged as you pray. But now I want to speak to those of you who are in the different group. You're accepting in principle what I've been saying. You'll be happy enough to pray, but you don't believe that you can actually do much else. The idea of participating in God's restorative economy, it should not be a fringe element of our discipleship. So those of you who are at that first poll and are still not connecting words like climate and advocacy to your worship life, you have been missing a piece of your discipleship and I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. The problem for us as wealthy, middle-class people living in Melbourne is that we can easily ignore the unsustainability of our economy. It's convenient for us to have that oversight because we are the beneficiaries of this injustice. You need to realise this is a sin issue for the Western Church. The Bible says that spiritual and economic matters, they're intertwined. So now is your time to get out of your comfort zone and to get your hands dirty. I want you to do that in fresh ways that are bearing witness to the kingdom of God. This is the context for the Chris Wright um, quote that I put in the program. In that he's challenging us to think of the gospel not just as me and my salvation, but a much bigger story of God that we are called to respond to. As I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons the early church was motivated to act justly and to share their possessions, to take in orphans and widows, was that they were eagerly anticipating Jesus' return and they wanted to put their house in order. They had nothing to lose and they were not distracted by leisure or wealth creation. In Melbourne in 2017, we live in wealth and luxury and so we're not very expectant of Jesus' return. We're a bit like the Israelites, who when they experienced wealth and prosperity during the time of the prophets, they were the most unjust and sinful towards the poor. And so God sent the prophets Amos and Micah to rebuke them. So if you're in this category of people, I challenge you to join the Renew Our World climate petition. It's aiming to be the biggest multi-electorate pen and paper petition to our parliament ever, covering the whole country. We need people with clipboards out in the streets, in the shops, in our churches, in our schools, gathering signatures in every electorate to urge our parliament to take stronger action on climate change. This year is significant because it's um, significant review periods of some of our federal government's climate policies. You also can get involved by looking um, online at renewourworld.org.au. Being involved in advocacy and anything to do with climate issues may stretch you, but that's a good thing. And you'll be coached along the way 
by those of us who are organising the campaign. So let me finish with prayer. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for the hope that Jesus brings to restore all things. Thank you that we can help your church follow you and tackle injustice, particularly on the issue of climate change. Give us the courage to play a part in your kingdom. We lift to you the launch of the Global Renew Our World campaign. Please pour your blessing and your power upon it and ignite a movement of faithful people to turn the tide towards a more just and compassionate world. Amen.